0: We want to welcome you to this uh, session. I hope you are in the right place. Impact after short-term teams leave. So if you know that's not the place, you are still welcome. (laughs) Okay, I want us to pray just before we begin. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you. We bless you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this is the day the Lord has meant. And Lord, we want to welcome you, Lord, even as we go through this session. We pray that you'll speak to our hearts. I pray that you'll fill us with your spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better and be able to work with you in what you're doing all over the earth. So we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm trying to see where my friends are. Okay. Okay. I can see them. Thank you. My wife is there. She's sitting behind. At some point, the third part of the last the last part of 20 minutes, uh, I will ask some people just to share some of the experiences. So my responsibility is to give you a basis. We are going to cover base, a basis, biblical basis of why you need to work in missions, shorter of missions in a different way. And then we are going to cover the practical part, so our experience in Ghana and different countries. And then we'll have some questions and other people to contribute. Uh, we have been involved in missions for the last... Um, Since 1990, almost 29 years ago, our first 10 years was among the Somalis, and we went in as pioneer missionaries for 10 years. And then we took a break, uh, worked in a children's home, and then through a friend we went back to missions, but this time to reach out and train believers wherever we could find them in those communities. Most of them were rich people groups. But the idea was to go in and look for believers and equip them to reach their own people. So that's basically what I'm going to share with you today. And then after that, we left East Africa. We went to Ghana to be missionaries, uh, working with churches in northern Ghana to equip them to reach their own people effectively. So our experience has been we have seen the first part where you go in as a pioneer missionary is where you basically do everything. And the latter part of our missions has been to equip others how to effectively serve. And today we are going to focus on how we work with short-term teams to do that effectively. Number one, we all know the Great Commission. The Lord Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples. You know the scripture. But there's a part people forget. He says, when you teach them, make sure you teach them to obey. If they are not obeying... They are not going to be good disciples. And that's the first challenge you have to face as you go out to reach out to work with churches on the ground. Are we making them more effective? Are we reducing the effectiveness? The Lord wants us to be effective so that there is multiplication. There is another part Jesus says clearly, As my Father has sent me, so I am sending you. How did Jesus do his ministry? All of us know Jesus had like two and a half years or three years. But most of his part he spent time with his disciples. Teaching them so that when he left, they would be able to continue his ministry. So he taught. The Bible says he taught in the synagogues. He preached the gospel. He healed the sick. But there are many scriptures that say he spent time with the disciples teaching them. And it's amazing because these were people who were adults. Many people forget they were not young people. These were adults. Peter had a wife. I don't know how he followed Jesus for three years with his wife. Jesus had to feed them. So one time he created a crisis for Martha and Mary. He brings 12 men to the house. I think there were other people hanging on. And Mary has to feed them. And that's why she was complaining. It was a genuine complaint. (laughs) Okay, But Jesus was trying to teach them to live together as a team. Okay. But he was passing on information that when he left, they will be able to carry on his ministry. So Jesus was very deliberate the way he taught them. Jesus never taught them in a classroom. He did practicals. He sent them out to do ministry. He did evaluation. He checked them out. He corrected them. He rebuked them. He encouraged them. So when you're working on the ground as a short-term missionary, these days we say someone is a short-term missionary if you are going to the field less than six months. When I was in the mission field, it was less than two years. But this idea was, what is going to happen when you leave? So when we are going in, we need to really think about our exit strategy. No one wants to think about an exit strategy because we hope to be there forever and ever. But things change. Like our experience, what happened when we, were in Ghana, we went back home and we were planning to go back to transition to Burkina Faso. And then Ebola breakout happened and the Kenya government said, you cannot go back. Actually, all the flights to West Africa were cancelled, so you, there was no way of going back. So we started realizing, had we not trained the Ghana team to be effective, the work would have stopped. Thankfully, before we went to Ghana, we had been trained in a different ministry how to work with the churches in a way that everything we did, we made sure that we empowered them. So if it was things like uh, my wife was involved in setting up community clinics, she trained them to function so that when she leaves, it can work. One of the things that we found out, like setting up clinics, you have to teach them procurement systems. That means they have to learn to order medicine and do it on their own. These are community health workers. They are not nurses. They are not doctors. So we taught them how to order medicine to make sure the medicine is correct before they use them in the clinic. We had the permission of the government to do all those things, but the idea was to set up a system that will work when you are not involved. We were able to set up some... Uh, discipleship classes, so what we we'll do is we we'll teach a group of people how to do discipleship in their churches, give them manuals, and we told them, to show that you learned, go and set up a discipleship school in your church. So at some point we had 16 to 20 discipleship schools running all over that area. We did business, the same thing, we trained them in business, they have to go and practice it before you know they have learned. So I'm trying to explain when Jesus said When you go in make sure you teach them to obey You have to demonstrate it You have to look for a teaching or training method That has demonstration in it It's not just passing information If you are not demonstrating it They will not be able to do it Another scripture I want us to look at today That is new uh, Is from Acts 15 Verse 36 And 41 So I want to read it so that we talk about The life of Paul and this is what he says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word and see how they are doing. In verse 41 he says, or 40 he says, Paul chose Silas and left and commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So all of us have been in missions, we have been taught that Paul was a missionary committed to reach out to the unreached people groups. That is correct. But if you look in the book of Acts, the second part of his life, the second journey, the third journey, he never went to the unreached. He went to the churches he already reached to train them to be more effective. And this is very important because when he went back, there are places Paul stayed for one week, like in Thessalonica. The guy, when he was beaten, he would get out. Go to another place, train and get out. The idea was, Paul was like, I always imagine he was not focused that I'm going to die in this place. <laughs> he was ready to move on when things would not work. But he always made sure he was always empowering those believers. We know from the Bible, he, when he went back, he started uh, choosing elders, identified by the community. These are people who mature, chosen by the community, and his work was to do what? To pray for them and set them in their office. That is a very deliberate strategy when you are working on the ground. Do not choose people the churches don't recognize. It's important to work with the churches and know who are their leaders. All the volunteers that we work with are chosen by the pastors, so we don't choose them. There are challenges with it, but you have to trust them. Because later, some places we worked, we found out the good young men who were educated were not in the original group. They used to bring us elders, very good guys but they are not quick to learn. But as we expanded the training like to community health, we needed more volunteers. The requirement was they have to know English or they have to know French. And we realised all these young people are in churches, but they never came for the first training. But still, the idea is make sure don't choose people to work with. Let the church choose the people they want to work with. To empower people, there are several things you need to do. Number one, don't make decisions for them. Please trust them. These are poor communities, but it's good to give them dignity so that they choose their own people. Don't override them. I always say that it doesn't matter which country you go, the Holy Spirit is always moving. So I've been in places where churches meet under the trees, but they love the Lord. They may not have technology and good churches, good buildings, but they have leaders. Make sure you train those leaders. Do not go and bypass them. The reason I'm repeating like this, it's very common those who work in uh, relief and development organizations, we always bypass the peoples in the church. So we say we are working with churches, but we never train their people. We are actually doing things for them. That is not going to work if you are going to sustain it. And this requires for you to be patient. The Bible says a good teacher is patient and wise. You have to be patient. You have to be patient to train them. Because if you don't train them, literally when you work comes, you stop. Everything collapses. collapse. I've seen this in, let's give you examples, in two, three countries. In my home country, we were working in a different organization. We went to a place to do uh, a medical team. Uh, was reaching out to minister to people. So we needed a place, a hospital, a church. So we got a, char- a place that had been built, a complete hospital with doctor's quarters, water tanks places for patients, houses for the doctors, but no one was using it. That means when that place was built, they never involved the community. They had a complete hospital, but no one was using it. So I remember asking out of curiosity, because I was not in a team, I was visiting on behalf of administration, what happened? They said they never asked us. They built a hospital, but they never asked us. I was a bit surprised I was saying if they really wanted to help that community, they should have looked for one of the biggest denominations in that community, had hospitals all over the country in Kijabe. why would not give them the hospital to run it? They never involved them. I went to another place I found a school had been built, but no one was using it. I went to another place, another country. This large organisation had built um, a retreat centre, but when they left, they gave it to the government. But it was a Christian organization. So I was asking the pastors, why is it they never gave you? They said they didn't want to involve us. So those are the challenges you'll find. Are we willing to trust the people on the ground and empower them? If God trusts them, why are you not trusting them? I always say that uh, the gap between what we know and what people don't know is just knowledge and training. People can be trained to come to the level you want, and be trusted with everything to do with the kingdom. So basically, we need to make sure we don't choose people for them. Trust those pastors. Even if they have never gone to school, we have learned different methods of doing Bible study. It doesn't have to be written. It will be oral. You can use oral training. They will understand. So that you start empowering the churches in that community. So when Paul went back to these communities, he picked the elders. Because Paul was transitioning, He, I'm sure in his mind... He knew maybe he would never go back. We know many places he went, he never went back. That's why he would write back letters to encourage them because he was in prison. But he had passed through during the second journey, looking for leaders, identifying them and training them. And one of the best places he did that was in Ephesus. So I want us to look at that before I transition. In Ephesus, when he reached there, he found believers who who were followers of John the Baptist. The first thing Paul did, he talked to them. He asked them questions. When you go to a new community, it's good to ask questions. Don't assume you know. I always say in research, we know. We have secondary research we get from books. But we have primary research we get from interviews and focus group discussions. This one comes from people. They are the only one who knows their issues. So these guys were able to explain to Paul, we don't understand this baptism you are talking about. So Paul told them about the baptism of Jesus. They only knew about the baptism of John. The principle is there is something they know. So build on it. Don't just dismiss it. When Paul was able to explain to them, they responded by agreeing Paul to be, uh, that group to be baptized by Paul. And that's the group that Paul used to reach out to that community. Uh, Paul experienced persecution in Ephesus. So what he did, he took these believers and started a school for two years. The Bible says he stayed in one place and trained them. The Bible says he reached the whole of Asia Minor. Paul never did it. It's these guys he had trusted and trained who reached out. So I always believe the second part of Paul's life was a period of multiplication. The first journey, he did everything. The second part, he decided to multiply himself. And the key thing he did there was get these believers, talk to them, and then start training them. We all need to be involved. If you are willing to multiply yourself, you need to be willing to train. For me personally, having been among the rich people groups for 10 years before I went back to be trained, you need to be trained how to teach churches in the poor communities. I assumed I knew, but my leader at that moment, she kept on insisting, Bukachi, you have to go for the training. I didn't like it. I told her I've been in missions for 10 years. There's nothing I'm going to get in that training that I don't know. <laughs> but she told me, okay, let's make a deal. You go for the training, you teach one of the lessons, spiritual offer, which I liked, but you listen to all the other lessons. So I went, and actually my understanding was changed, that it's important to learn in a new way of teaching and equipping these churches, I couldn't apply to these churches what I had learned before among the enriched people groups. So after the training, we agreed with her. She told me, "You have permission. Write a strategy. We are going to go back to the Somalis, and you're the one going to lead." So he told me, "Write the strategy. I'll back it up." So I had a free, uh, how do I say? America's a free check, and I could write anything I want. I said, I'll back it up because we wanted to go back and look for believers in all these communities where we had worked to train them to reach their own people. And we targeted three areas. Missionaries working in that group, churches in that group, and believers in that group. And we identified. We had to go to another country to get those believers. And we were able to set up ministries run by those believers that still run up to These are Muslim countries. Go in and look for those believers and train them. That's what you need to pick here. Don't go and do things for them. I remember when we went to this particular country, we had to get all the missionaries, ask them where are these believers. We talked to them for one week. When we got the believers, I went back with a friend to train them for seven days secretly. And I remember in that country I cried. And the reason I was crying, I was saying, God, now I understand. For ten years I was doing the work. Now we have believers here. just after seven days of training, they set up a school for refugees. They set up a ministry to reach out to prostitutes. Even the missionaries were shocked. I remember the Catholic organization in that country was so shocked, they donated a lot of stuff to the school. The European Union started supporting that program. The key was just to train them. Because no one had seen believers in that particular people group running anything. They were totally dependent on missionaries. for 100 years. It was very eye-opening to me. I went back home and told people, it can be done. So we went and set up this program in Nairobi, Western Kenya, South Sudan, North Sudan. Same thing. Look for the believers and train them. You have to go to the ground. That means you have to be willing to go look for them. So I want to just explain the steps you can do when you're entering a new community. How do you find out? The first thing you have to do is do a site visit. Just take a trip to find out where are these people. Where are these believers? Where are these missionaries? And where are these churches? And normally we do that for two or three days or one week. We don't do anything. We just talk to people. The idea we are trying to find out, are there believers who can champion the ministry we have? Are there believers who can share the ministry the Lord has laid on our hearts? And we meet pastors. Sometimes we meet missionaries. And during that time, we tell them, if you are willing to be involved in this work, we call them for a day. One day only, envisioning for six hours, where we share with them what the Lord can use them to do to transform their communities. So that is the catch: if they don't come up, they don't come for the envisioning; they are not interested. <laughs> okay. So you tell them you are going to have envisioning; they have at that point look for their own venue, so we don't hire venue for them. The idea is you have to empower them right from the beginning. They have learned to make decisions where to meet. Like there is a country; you are starting in January. So we have already told them they, have hired, they are going to look for their own venue. We are going to look for a place to stay. But they have to make sure they turn up. If they don't turn up, then you, the selection process begins. So those who turn up, will share with them how to work in the community, how to obey the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, the Great Concern in their communities. And then we tell them, if you're interested, give us five people who can be trained over the next three years. So if they commit themselves and bring five people, you work with them. It doesn't mean you work only the five people. The five people are like the core leaders for the pastor, but the other leaders will come in for different programs or training. So you take them through the training for these three years, different modules to empower the church, so that when you leave, they'll be able to carry for the ministries you have given them. We do holistics training. We'll do discipleship training. We'll do inner healing training. And then uh, at that point, they will do a research in the community to find out their needs. They have to find out their needs and prioritize their needs. From there, we start training them based on their needs. So some areas, some of them were interested in community health. At that point, we start inviting short-term teams that are experienced in training people in community health. And hopefully some of them will be able to share in the last 20 minutes. So don't start overburdening things for them before training them to understand. Because what happens, they think it's your project. And then they wait for you next year. And they wait for you next year. You, it's a choice, I always feel it's a choice we have to make in our hearts. Are we willing to empower people or are we needed to go back every year? Because if you don't make that choice, you can't transition in your mindset. So at that point when these short-term teams start coming in, like areas they have done dental training, instruction, they have done... Um, uh, medical, they have done vision. Um, there's an area we try to do dentures. Okay? They have to sh- tell you we have a need before you come in. And then they get volunteers and you train them. So you work with the short-term teams to make sure that the churches have identified people who already understand holistic ministry. If they have to carry it as their own vision. Otherwise, what will happen if you give them equipment sometimes, you find them packed in the house because they are waiting for you to tell them what to do. At that point, you know, you failed. So, we have a policy in our organization if you get equipment, you don't use it, you will take it back. That's part of the expectations. The first time we meet them, we have expectations. There are things we'll do, there are things they have to do. If they don't do it, we can't work together. Now, these are brothers, so it doesn't mean we are like, tough on them, we have discussions. So that they see that we are doing this out of a loving heart, that we have to be good stewards. We don't want to waste resources in our community. So that is important. So the short-term teams come at that point, whatever they need. We have had business teams that come in to train on business. We have had a group that come to training. When we are setting up schools in this particular country, we brought in a team from a particular church to come and train them how to teach children. And they ended up setting 10 schools that run today. We have people who have come in to teach them business. Like I said, some of our team members are good business people now. Uh, we have others that have come in to teach leadership. So the pastors always choose those people for the training that the short term teams are bringing in. You don't go and choose people for him. Some of the churches have grown. Some of them, I remember there's a church in Ghana that wanted to have a building. We told them we don't build churches. We'll teach you how to build your own. It was a big argument because they didn't like it. So you have to discuss out of a loving heart why you're not going to build them a church. So I told them in our country, I told them in Sudan, I never saw someone using a building. They meet under the trees. So you don't need a building. You just need to train your people. So we trained them in business. One of the areas we covered was doing farming as a business. And we told them how to just to make sure professionally you, you do farming, you know, have inputs, calculate the cost, increase your acreage. And actually, the harvest, when they came in, we told the pastors, don't ask for money, let them bring the harvest. And they were able to sell the ground out, the rice, the maize, and they started building a church that seats 500 people. So, what we tell people, let them use what they have. There is no resource poor community. It's just the way you see resources. In the Bible, there's a difference between money and assets. So when you're teaching churches, you don't focus on money. You teach them to find out what are the assets you have. Assets and the people and the skills. They are volunteers in churches. Assets are land they have, business skills. You build on that so that you start empowering them to be able to support their own people. Don't go and do things for them. Yeah, Because you may look, or oh, oh, they need a clinic. We need to set up a clinic for them. Have you ever found out whether they need a clinic? Because when you build a clinic, they tell you you need to hire the nurse, hire the doctor. At that point, it's no longer their ministry. It's your ministry. But if you work with them, like uh, in Ghana where we set up clinics, and in Kenya there's a hospital we work with, they run community clinics from the training they receive from the short-term teams up to today. Some of the volunteers are so good, they became their own personal ministries. I don't follow them up. All they do is they send you reports, we went to this community, we had this number of extractions, we see this number of patients, or we used this to plant a church in this community. That's all. Of course, we have accountability systems we have. We have teams on the ground that monitor them. And also, the short-term teams that we partner with, if there's something that is serious that needs to be done, they're willing to send someone urgently to come and solve it. So we have that, like, that partnership. We are very open to the teams we work with because we want to be good stewards. So if it's something they don't like, they'll tell me. (laughs) And if they are doing something I don't like, I will tell them. We have to reach that level of trust and partnership to be effective. Okay. I want to mention something here. Um, How do you select people to be trained by the short-term teams? Like I said, always go through the pastor. By the time a short-term team comes in, maybe one year after training or two years of our own training, they have understood the members of their church who can be trained in different ministries. So we just put down the requirements. They have to be able to understand English, understand French. The ISA should be good. And then they will look for those people. Some places they have to work with hospitals. Some places they can do on their own. It depends on the government regulations in that particular country. Many people normally ask, OK, what do you do if... How do you train community health workers uh, and deal with the government? Make sure you ask permission before you bring in the short-term teams. OK. It's important. Only the host on the ground knows the legal issues. So in, normally in most countries, the central government or national governments don't like hearing that people are being trained in dental things. So they will not like the idea. So what you do, you use the local governments. Local governments know the people's needs. Go to the Ministry of Health, explain what you are going to do. Actually, like I remember in Kenya, because um, we have a new constitution, so you have these new governments. The medical officer in charge of that county or state government came to launch the training. Because <laughs> he told them, the nearest hospital you have is 50 kilometers away. So we are willing for you guys to let your volunteers be trained to help our people. So always make sure that you, the host... Has to work out the government details. If they can't work it out, they should be very honest to tell you they can't, it can't work out. Don't go and do things secretly because you'll be found out. Yeah. There's a way you can, if it's in my home country, there's a way you can challenge it. But if it's in a foreign country, you can't. In my home country, there's a way you can go talk to different people. And they'll say, okay, I think we value the training, let it be done. So in, there are parts in Kenya where you can do community health, you can do dental extraction, depending on the county government. But the the richer counties where the cities are, they don't allow it. But the remote areas, they don't have issues. So it really depends on the hosts in the country. I don't know how in your teams you work with the hosting hosting churches or groups. You have to build a relationship that you can be very honest with one another. This is very important, okay? Because when misunderstanding comes out because of different expectations, you're going to have a crisis. You may have a host that thinks that you have to pay them to do their work. That's a bad relationship. <coughs> because at that point, you're creating dependency. And, and in their mind, they're saying this is your work. So they'll be waiting for you to come every time to do things for them. So they have to learn to use their resources. That is critical. Like if you're tra- doing a training, they should get empty space. Don't hire a new place. Uh, all our volunteers who are trained in any module we have done, over the three years, we don't pay them transport, we only provide lunch, we don't give them accommodation they have to look for a place to sleep I before you came they were visiting each other so they were being hosted don't come and change the system now you have to pay them to come to sleep to be trained that is not going to work you become an income generating activity for them So we tell them, if you have been having conferences in your church, just continue, sleep in the church, work wherever we are. If they want to borrow people's houses, that's fine. They are used to doing that. Don't go and change their system. At that point, they start depending on you. Everything will collapse. If they need further training, sometimes other places we have had intensive training to empower the people. We will take them to any training they need to build their capacity. Because that is our primary calling as Hope Alive to build the capacity of the churches, so that when they're ready, they can host the short-term teams. So, I think I've covered the two areas. I would like to welcome some of the guys who are here. I think the ITEC team are here. Uh, I met a guy today. Please come, because he he trains in Kenya businesses. I like what you're saying. Just come. Uh, ITEC come. Uh, I think Dr. Charlie is here. I saw Dr. Charlie. (laughs) And there's another ministry here. Um, what is his name?
1: Bill.
0: Bill, yes. Bill Warren, please come. Okay. So, they work with medical teams. Okay. So, in some areas, they're the ones who have trained. So, it's good. I always say, from you guys need to understand from the American side what happens before the teams come. As you're very good in hosting. Okay. But these areas, we have to work together to make it effective. He will cover today shared how he trains churches in business in Kenya, and how he realized the old model was failed. So I was very surprised to hear. I've never met him. This is my first time. (laughs) So he asked me, he asked me, are you from Kenya? I said, yeah. I said, yeah, this old model of missions is not working. That's, until you realize there's something wrong, you can't change it. Okay, so I'll just let them share from their hearts. And then Pamela can come.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> My name is Bill Warren. I work with a mission organization called FAME and uh, we've for 50 years we've been working with uh, people around the world who are doing um, medical evangelism and so in the early years it was medical brigades and, um, and we have shifted over the last several years to doing a lot more teaching and training uh, just to, to echo what, what Francis has said, just uh, trying to equip the local church
1: to reach out to their own community. My name is Jamie. I'm with ITEC. Um, many of you probably maybe know a little bit of this story, but back in the 1950s, my grandfather and four of his friends were killed by a group of Indians in the Amazon, named St. Jim Elliott, and in the Sphere story. From there, it was really the tribe who adopted my dad and then our family. When my great-aunt died, they told us to come and teach them what the outsiders knew how to do. They said, they said it this way. They said, when foreigners come, they come when it's convenient for them and they take care of our medical and dental problems. But it said two problems. One, they don't come when we have a need. They come when it's convenient. And two, they can only meet a physical problem. But our people have a bigger need than a physical problem. They have a spiritual problem. They said, so if you teach us how to take care of their physical problems, we will be here when they have a need. And we will not only be able to take care of the physical problem, we'll tell them how Jesus can fix their heart. It sounds real good, but how do you do that? And one of the things that it takes is it takes the right partner. Because if you don't have the right partner on the ground who understands the debilitation of dependency, dependency is not empowering. It it holds the community down. And so you have to have the right partner and Hope Alive is the right partner. We've worked with them many places around the world. So you go and you take the training in a very short amount of time. You go in with a very strategic team, and I'll say it this way: in the missions dilemma series, which was filmed right here, there's one series or one lesson in that, and there's people from around the world sharing. But it's no go show and blow. You only go if you know something, something that they have a need for. So you have to know something in order to go. But then you you know, then you go. You show them, and then you get out of there. Because the best people to share the gospel in Africa are Africans. You know what? Frank, when it comes to Ghana, when it comes to Kenya, his home country, he understands those cultures and those languages much better than I do. And so we go in and we train people in dentistry, in medical care, in eyesight enhancement, in storytelling on film, in mechanical small engine repair, and also in agriculture, we go in, we train them, and then they go and they reach out into their community.
0: Okay. Just share briefly experience what made you change.
3: Okay. I was speaking with them earlier about, uh, earlier in my life, I had been on several missions teams, and when I came home, I felt that we were just a complete failure. But everybody was patting themselves on the shoulder. What a good job we'd done. And the whole time, they had no awareness that they actually failed. And that really turned me off to that kind of missions. But uh, when God formally called me to be a short-term missionary, uh, through his machinations that only he can do, I wound up in Kenya, Moldova, Bangladesh, and now Guatemala. Uh, In Kenya in particular, where we've had the most success, I I think the key number one is the Holy Spirit... Because without the wisdom and guidance of the Holy Spirit, I'm a nobody and I don't belong in the country. I need to stay home. So definitely the wisdom and guidance of the Holy Spirit. The second success factor is good feet on the ground. You cannot emphasize the need for good feet on the ground. When I go there, I teach business skills. I teach uh, personal financial skills, business financial skills, church management skills, budgeting and so forth and so on. I moved into pastoral care. That's something I never envisioned, but the reason I did it is because the people expressed the need. They came to me with the need and said, will you do this for us? So when I go to Kenya, for example, I have no control whatsoever over the schedule. They (laughs) determine where I go. They determine the audience I'm speaking to. They determine the subject I want to teach within the, the realm of topics that I teach, but they're in total control. And I think that's why God has blessed the ministries because... It speaks to them. It speaks to them through their eyes. I'm just a spokesperson for the Holy Spirit nothing more.
0: Okay. So, I can go back to you guys. There's a component in the training that we, every training we give people, we have a training manual. Because you have to leave the churches with something to be able to continue training. Because on the ground, maybe people are not good maybe in writing curriculums. But if you give them a well-written training manual, They'll be able to implement it. So I just want to ask: He has a training manual. You guys have training manuals. How do you prepare them?
1: Let me uh, very quickly, very shamelessly plug a four o'clock session <laughs> um, where you're going to you're going to actually see this being done in the field, and you're going to see the need for empowerment. It's 4 p.m. Um, it's in the atrium, and I'm leading that session. So come to that. Um, manuals are very important. And what we try to do with our manuals is we have teams that that are the trainers that write those manuals so that when we leave, they have something to refer back to. We try to get those manuals when they're not done in English. We try to get them translated ahead of time so that when a student, when a, a pastor or church leader comes in to be trained, they have a manual in their own language that then they can take additional notes in. And these manuals we try to make We try to boil the training down to just what they need to know. In dentistry, for instance, they don't need to know the embryology of the anesthesia. They just need to know that it works. And so we try to boil it down to just the basics, and then we have some nonverbal videos that show what 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 we're teaching them, and it's very interactive. So if you were to ask a dentist here in the U.S., like Bill Griffin, who's standing in the back of the room, if you were to ask him, how long does it take to learn dentistry, he's going to tell you about four years, but then you have, that's after college, and then you go in and you may have a fellowship. But if you ask um, Frank or any of the other folks around the world that we've trained, they say, well, about a day and a half in the classroom and then about four days of practical. (laughs) Well, which is right. They both talk. You can't practice here in the United States unless you have a license. You can't practice overseas. And we're not talking about in big cities. Frank mentioned that. We're talking in rural areas. So where there is no dentists, where there are no medical clinics, those are the places that we're focused on. Because those are the places typically where the gospel also is, is not prevalent. So the manual is an essential component. But we're not doing you know, Bill probably has a, a shelf full and I've been to this often. Shelves full of books. Our manual for dentistry is about ninety three PowerPoint slides in a booklet. It's about this thick. Which is right. They both are but you have to have a manual and a, and a methodology. Training has to be very strategic and methodical. It's not, it's not, well, to this time we're going to do this thing and next time we're going to do something different. No, it's the same everywhere you go. Slight differences, but it's very strategic, very inside the box. Um, but the manual is an important part of that.
0: Okay. What about the manuals? Okay.
3: Okay. I have written my own curriculums for each of the topics that I teach based on my experience, educational background, and so forth. And uh, the amazing thing to me in the last five years is the prevalence of smartphones in Western Kenya. What a blessing, because it makes it so much easier to distribute copies of the information digitally. And I can provide it to the leaders, and if they need to make hard copies for their members, they can do that locally. So we do leave something behind, because I feel like if, when I leave, if I haven't left them better off than they were before I arrived, I should stay at home. And one of the ways to leave them better off is to leave a tool in their hands that they can refer to, not just the words out of my mouth when I'm standing up there. And in some places, most churches I go to do not have technology like this. We use flip charts. And and I leave that on the wall. When I leave, I don't take it with me. That's theirs. So that's that's
2: Hmm.
0: the
3: information. Provide the copies electronically and leave them with tools.
0: Okay. Is it biblical? Remember, the Lord asked Moses, what do you have in your hands? Moses' rod, which he had used to take care of shepherds of sheep for 40 years, became God's rod. So the Lord used what He had. It was a tool; it was just a staff for guiding sheep. But when God took care of it, it became His rod. So tools are important. It helps to multiply and help the believers on the ground to be able to train. Like He says, sometimes we have to translate. Because if they can't understand, I don't think uh, English, French, those are the big languages. The are areas that, to help those people, you just have to learn the language. But if you don't want to learn the language, translate and train them in their own language so that they continue their work. I want to welcome Pamela, because she set up communion clinics in Ghana. Maybe for the sake of the nurses are here. You guys can't sit down. She'll explain what she did over those three years. Okay.
2: Uh, Good afternoon. My name is uh, Pamela Bukachi. I'm registered nurse, registered midwife. And uh, my mission, my life started with a visit to the mission field. I went to the northern part of Kenya which is remote, hostile and insecure. I was a student in nursing college and somebody shared about the insecurity in this area. And the inability to share the gospel. So, out of curiosity, I went. And the needs overwhelmed me, and came back and I knew I wanted to be a missionary nurse. Now, I knew that it wasn't going to be easy. I'll not be on salary, I'll not have a regular hospital to work in. But I was willing to take the risk. And while I was there, I was the pharmacist. The midwife, the clinician, I was, the, the, the situation made me be everything. I couldn't refer a patient to a specialist. There was no specialist to be referred to. I couldn't tell a patient, go and get it, go and see the pharmacy. There was no pharmacist to be referred to. And that's when I realized that some of these areas, the needs that they have overwhelm the law that's available. I knew I'm a trained nurse, I knew there were rules that I I was allowed to operate within, but at this point I was willing to break the rules because the situation warranted. And so because of that, I kind of became uncomfortable working in a regular hospital because I knew the greatest population will not be able to access this hospital where I was working in. That's a fact whether it's in the statistics or not, whether the governments agree or not, it's a fact. The number of population that are able to access dentist, uh, dentists, whichever rural area you go to, whether it's Kenya, whether it's Ghana, whether it's Malawi, you're reading from the same script. And so when we went to uh, Ghana, which was uh, in West Africa, and we are coming from East Africa, we literally went to a different culture and we working in the northern part where there are like 98% Muslims. And again the same thing, insecurity, lack of services, lack of availability of medical services, and so still facing the same situation only in a different culture. And so I, I realized it would still be the same script. And the reason why we we, were, we found ourselves in these areas we had been requested to go and so having trained with the previous ministry organization we were challenged to uh, train churches train people empower, we we did a training and the church identified medical as, their part, as part of their need so we looked for partners who come along and establish Rural medical clinics. Maybe when we, when we talk of clinics, you are thinking of the physician's clinic that you visit or the schools, the Christian academy. No, we are talking of the basic medical available facility before a person is able to go to a major hospital. Uh, I hope I'm not leaking an interview, but I was raised up in a village where we had to walk like one hour to a medical center. And if, I, if somebody got sick, chances of developing complications while they were walking on their way to the hospital was very high. And so we realized if we got medical assist, uh, lay, lay people that we could train in, I meant simple, like take blood pressure, temperature, pulse, and respiration, just the vital signs that would be such a basic tool for anybody to have. And so we did the IMED and then we also did the IDENT where we were able to train them on just simple tooth extraction. By the time most of our clients go to see we had <laughs> most of their teeth need extracting. There is no preservation. And so we realized this would also be a good basic tool. And This became more like a diagnostic clinic. As clients came for tooth extraction, you'd find a 50-year-old having her blood pressure taken for the first time in their life. Can you imagine? You can't imagine. Because the scenario is like in Africa. You only get your blood pressure taken if you are expecting. You only go for a checkup when you are expecting a baby. Otherwise, if you are enjoying good health, you have no need to go to the hospital. So if you never had the opportunity to deliver, you didn't have your blood pressure checked. It makes sense. And so, as we trained these uh, lay uh, church workers, it was interesting. I remember one student rushing to me and telling me, you need to come and see. And I was wondering, What is it? And when we reached other place, this lady had a blood pressure of 200 and something over 110. And she was seated there. And her plan was to have her tooth extracted and then go to the market to do her shopping. And when we were there, I told the worker, let's use the use motorcycle. So I told him, that became now the ambulance. I told the worker, please rush her to the nearest district hospital. She had to be admitted immediately. And five days later after this journey, she came back to thank us for risking her life. And so these are some of the things that, uh, even setting up these clinics, those are some of the things I've watched happen. And I'm sure much happened even though it's not reported. I saying, you may do several things, but only maybe one thing reaches you. The other four, they are untold stories. The life that has been saved, somebody rescued here and there. Those stories never reach us. And those are the episodes that are still being written. Uh, adding just on partnership. God would look for Abraham to partner with him. And he's wondering, should I tell Abraham what I'm planning to do? Can you imagine God thinking like, should I tell Abraham what I'm planning to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? And I thought, he loves to partner with us. When he takes the children of, when he takes the Caleb and Joshua to the, uh, when they go to spy the land, they are bringing in a report. Again, He's using the partnership. They're using the partnership. When you look at the, I mean, when the children of Israel went to Jericho, Rahab, they had partnered, and Rahab is telling the people, you don't know. This is what is happening here. And she recognizes these people have something that she doesn't have. And she tells them, when you destroy this city, which I know you will, remember my family. You see a partnership there. Where now she's held held accountable. We will only be, we will be guilty if we don't keep our promise. But you, if you don't loosen, if you don't put a scarlet rod, then your blood is out of our hands. And so I, I look at the Bible and partnership, long term, short term, whatever it is God wants to do. He's always calling you to, you to partner with somebody or to partner with a group or to partner with an institution or to partner with a church. I've been a missionary and every time things are changing. Areas that were easy to assess, they're closing on us. We stayed in Ghana and we could not have a work permit. You may come to Kenya. Having a work permit may take you so long. But you have a tourist visa which allows you to train the people that you're partnering with. Go back home. Next year, apply for a visa again and come back. Those are closing very hard, very fast. I'm sure 10 years, God allowing us to live to see it, will be having a different situation in our hands. Doors that were open will have closed. Countries that were considered open, closed. But the amazing thing, countries that were considered open are now closed. The inhabitants, those who are there, are fleeing to other countries of rescue. And even as we go, uh, we'll get them. If you come to Kenya, you'll still get Somalis. We worked among Somalis. 10 years not seeing a Somali believer. Right now, I have several Somalis. One writes me, look, look what I'm doing. Can you come and partner with me? I'm reaching out fellow Somalis. I've been invited to go back to my country and empower the women. And so now the invitation, come, come. The invitation to partner is still there. We just need to listen where the Lord is calling us to partner. Okay.
0: Time is up. We have seven minutes, so if you have a question, please. It can be any question, even to the guys who were here before. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Is it for medicals? Are you going to invite them for medical things? Or general? Okay. Look for people who understand training churches on the ground. So if it's medical, we have uh, uh, Bill Warren where is Bill Warren? Fame, we have ITEC, we have Teach Transform, they have a booth. Because from this side, we don't do a lot of mobilization because this is not our culture. So there are ministries that are committed to go and train. Um, He's dealing with business. I know people from this church who came to Ghana twice to teach on business. And we're here to tell them how to prepare the curriculum. Because we'll evaluate whether the pastor's understood or not. So we have a team that was developed in this church. They can come and train. We have people who have come to teach Sunday school. Instead of doing vocational, going to a country to do vocational school for them, you go and train them to do vocational schools for themselves. So you recruit people and let them train them as they reach out to the kids. So when they leave, they can continue. Uh, We have done uh, journalists, how to write stories. Just come and teach us how to write our own stories. Because on the ground, there are many stories, but we don't know how to write them. In our culture, we are oral culture. We'll tell you the story, but writing is another issue. So you just have to th- look for organizations that are doing training, and there are many. Yeah. I think a good example, ITEC knows many partners in the West that do all kinds of training. Yeah, he introduced some of them to us a few years ago. So just look, go to their booth, go teach transform, go to fame. Yes. Yeah, they can help you to develop your own team. Yeah. Another question? Okay, go ahead. I just wondered where did you work in Northern Ghana? In Tamale. So we, we train churches in Tamale, Bongo, Upper East, Upper West, and Salaga district. Yeah. And where were you planning to go and work We are working in Wagadugu, and, and next year we are starting Bobo Boboju Lasso. Okay, okay. So we have guys on the ground who understand this concept. So on our side, on the ground, the people we train, some of the people we train become very effective, so they can lead teams. I don't have to go to Ghana to lead teams. The Ghanaians now lead, help short-term teams to go to different communities. Because on the ground, the partner has to understand also the empowerment. Others, they'll create a dependent system. Okay? Okay? Anyone can speak to that? Yeah. One of the things I tell short-term is don't go and do things for people. It's not effective. Okay, there's something I wrote here, you know. Let me just read for you. If you want to help someone, training is a way of delegation. So the first thing you need to do, come and watch me do it. Let them go there and be an example. Of what you expect them to be. That's what Jesus did. Secondly, let's do it together. That means you train them together. Number three, let's do it together, but I'll watch you. So when they come and watch, the students they are training, maybe the third or fourth day, they watch them do the extractions and they do correction. And then the last point, you do it. I'm available to support you, but I'm waiting out. Okay? So you have to go through. If you do like that, you'll not have any problem in training. Like a good example, how many people lead Bible studies here? And how many years have you led a Bible study? Four Four years. I always say, after three years, you need to delegate someone else. Teach them to lead. Go start a new one. Hmm? Don't create dependence on yourself. (laughs) Don't be leading a Bible study for 10 years. It doesn't make sense. You teach, if it means even changing the manual you use, change it. Get a manual that empowers. Like when we teach English as a second language, I'm trained that. So that's how we set up the schools. We'll call the children, call the workers to be trained. The first two days we teach them how to love children. If you don't love children, don't come to the class. The last three days, we'll teach you how to teach these children. So I'll go through the lesson. It's prepared by Literacy and Evangelism International. It's based on the Bible. So when you go through the English courses, you learn the Bible within six months. So I will teach and demonstrate the lessons. The next day, I'll give the teachers. Each one has to teach while I'm observing. Then we tell them, mobilize kids in the community. The next week when you leave the training, you start your own school. And that's how all the schools started. They started within a week. So you have to do a lot of preparation and be a good example. Okay? Our time is up, so I want to release you. If you have to leave, if you have a question... Uh, We are here to be able to help you. Thank you for coming.